You're listening to Day to Day on X106. Hello and welcome to Day to Day, week number two. Andrew Botwinick alongside Jenny James going to give you some sports news that's going to be changing from day to day. We're going to be already jumping back into where we, I guess, started last week with the whole Anthony Davis trade talk. Um, Now, if you weren't listening last week, Anthony Davis did not get traded to any team uh, in the NBA. He's still going to be a Pelican for the remaining of the year. But he did come out with a report this uh, last couple weeks here, last week actually, saying that when asked who Davis would want to play for, uh, he pretty much answered any other any of the 29 other teams. So, Jenny, where where do you think he's he's going to go or where do you think would be a, a better fit for him? I know for me personally, I, I'd like to think that there's a chance that the Lakers would end up getting him after all the trade talks that they've done back and forth. I think that them or the Celtics are, is where the, he ended trade talking with before the deadline. I think that those are probably going to be mm-hmm. one of the top two teams to get him, I would imagine. Yeah, I would agree. I definitely think the teams that were really interested in him are still options. I think the Lakers right now are very hungry to find another key player to be next to LeBron. I just still think that they want to try and surround LeBron with um, other really good players like Anthony Davis. So I, I could see the Lakers still wanting to pursue him. Yeah, and I think the last trade offer that they offered was um, Ingram, Lonzo Ball, uh, Kuzma, a first-round pick in, I think, two seconds. And the Pelicans wanted just a little bit more, and we'll see if if they actually end up trying to get mm-hmm. a little bit more in the offseason or if the Lakers end up offering less because now it's, it's a matter of when Anthony Davis is going to get traded, not if mm-hmm. he will. And uh, this last weekend, the All-Star weekend, was a thing in the NBA. So we're going, to, we're going to go ahead and recap all of that as well, starting with the three-point contest. And Joe Harris was the winner on that one. So uh, Joe Harris, everybody, everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite to win that one. Uh, I don't think a lot of people had him winning that one. I think he actually had 10-to-1 uh, odds. I think Curry was still the favorite, if I'm not mistaken. And let's see here. The defending champ for that one. Uh, was Devin Booker, and I think Booker, I don't think he made it to the last round. I think it was just Harris and Curry in the last round. Um, Taking a look at the slam dunk contest, Hamadou Diallo uh, jumped over Shaq (laughs) to basically secure that slam dunk crown. Uh, A little bit of uh, homage to Vince Carter with the elbow through the rim on that dunk as well. And then a couple more plays there. Uh, A little bit disappointed from Collins from the Hawks. A little bit, uh, some creativity, but not enough uh, performance with that. I think he kind of missed the shot a couple on those and um, brought out the plane and broke the plane as he as he jumped over it, and no pun intended on that. <laughs> and then rounding out the weekend was the actual All-Star game along with uh, the performance from J. Cole at the end of that. What'd you, what was your take on that All-Star game in general? So when did it change to two captains picking was that that was this this year this last year they had the captains and because it was Steph Curry and LeBron they did the draft off camera and then they came in and played this year they actually televised the draft so they they had everybody they had LeBron and team Giannis pick their team or pick their players I guess so there, you get to see it as it unfolds, and I think that's something that's pretty cool. And I, yeah, it, part of me wishes that they that they would implement that into other sports as well, the team captain style mm-hmm. pick. That way, it's not just always East versus West. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously for baseball, um, 
yeah. the winner of that gets World Series advantage, that conference does. Yeah. So that one makes sense. Right. But I would like to see the NFL try and implement something like that to uh, yeah, try I think and it's get more creative, like and um, I think it makes it a little more exciting just because it's not your usual. Well, it's this side versus this side. It changes things up a little bit, and you mm-hmm. see players play together that normally you know you wouldn't. So exactly, you get you get to see. I don't know, Patrick Mahomes throwing up a long ball to Adam Thielen or someone yeah. someone in the NFC or something like that. That would be interesting to see. But uh, leading scorer for Team LeBron actually won the uh, MVP, Kevin Durant, 31 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists. LeBron finished 19, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. And then Kawhi Leonard also jumped in with 19 points, Clay Thompson with 20. And then for Team Giannis, the amazing start from Giannis Antetokounmpo 38 points 11 rebounds five assists Paul George with 20 points as well um Chris Middleton with 20 after he shot four of four to start the game from downtown and then Steph Curry 17 points nine rebounds seven assists and that was essentially rounding out the all-star game team LeBron came back uh, from down 20 to win 178 to 164 in that game is there anything that that struck out to you or stuck out to you rather um, during that all-star break. That was something that's not normally seen. Um, kind of like I touched on earlier. I just thought it was kind of neat to see like Durant versus Curry, like teammates that are on different teams for this game. Um, I just think that's really cool. that The NBA is doing it now this way. And like you said, I think other sports should consider doing it that way from now on. But I mean, I just I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I think it was kind of cool watching the all-star game from that perspective last night because mm-hmm. i know they had steph curry mic'd up and i know every time that the team Giannis was getting back on defense anytime that clay was out on the court i know he called out to everybody on the team that yeah. he was gonna be guarding clay and vice versa the other way around and steph curry actually had that four point yeah. play while clay was guarding him so that was something that that was something that was pretty cool to watch because i know those guys probably go head to head in practice mm-hmm. all the time um, and something else that I didn't even touch on was the skills competition. Jason Tatum won that one uh, with a half-court heave. He, he was he was down big, and uh, I can't remember who he was going up against, but it was neck and neck, and the speed of the other guy was able to go up further, and he was already up the court, and Tatum just heaved up a last-second shot and was able to bank it in and win the skills comp. So that was something that was pretty cool. Um, we got to see Dirk Nowitzki and... Dwayne Wade, potentially both of their last All-Star games. So something there, a little tribute to those guys. That was pretty cool to see. So you get uh, Luka Doncic, the young guy on that Mavericks team, going with Dirk Nowitzki, that one of the yeah. older guys from that team. Yeah, and I think Tatum, another one, he's pretty young guy too, to see him kind of step up in the All-Skills Challenge against veterans like Dwayne Wade and stuff. So it's mm. kind of cool seeing the younger uh, rookies there kind of step up a little bit. And I think that's something that the NBA has – kind of prided themselves on doing is that every single year for the all-star events they they try and go out and get they try and find the right mixture of veterans mm-hmm. that have proven themselves and then the the younger guys especially with the dunk contest because there's a lot of times where they'll they'll pull up a guy that that isn't very well known like Diallo for this year and those guys perform usually really well like Diallo did this season um they've had a couple guys in the past couple seasons I know Giannis's rookie season he actually was in the dunk contest before everybody knew who he was. I don't think he won that one. But um, just something that, that the NBA does really well is finding that young talent and making competitions or involving them in competitions that typically would go to the, the bigger-name players, and yeah. that's something that, 
something that I wish the other sports would do as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, I agree. So that is all we have for NBA talk. We're going to take a quick one-second uh, break here, and then we'll be back for the college basketball. And we are back on Day to Day. Andrew Botwinick and Jenny James here going to go over some college basketball. And there was a big game this weekend. The previous number one Tennessee Volunteers taking on, at the time, the number uh, five-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. The Wildcats pulling this one out 86-69 to in that game. P.J. Washington for Kentucky, 23 points, five rebounds. And Tyler Hero, 15 points, 13 rebounds. Keldon Johnson, 19 points, four rebounds for Kentucky. And then for Tennessee, Grant Williams, one of the stars on this on this Tennessee team, rather, 16 points, eight rebounds. Jordan Bone, 19 points, six assists. And Admiral Schofield, 17 points, six rebounds for him as well. And, Jenny, this, this is a pretty big beatdown for a number one team, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what I just told you. I didn't realize – I didn't watch the game, but um, that's that's a pretty – big margin there it wasn't just a close game it was kind of a butt whooping there on Tennessee and um they played at Kentucky correct uh yes yeah so I mean that kind of I think would factor into it just a little bit just because it's really hard those SEC teams that are you know high caliber it's really hard to play away um in that conference and so playing at Kentucky probably factored into that just a little bit but yeah number one going down that's always huge news and then Speaking of these two teams, they actually meet again Saturday, March 2nd, and that one will be in Tennessee. Do you think Tennessee kind of evens it back out at home, or do you think because of that win, Kentucky's going to be riding high? I think Kentucky will definitely be riding high, but I also think Tennessee is going to have a huge chip on their shoulder. Um, Playing at home, I think they might come out more confident, and especially they're going to want revenge. So I could see Tennessee stepping up, but I could also see Kentucky coming in very strong. Yeah, and the remaining games between that for Tennessee are uh, Vanderbilt tomorrow. That's a home game for Tennessee. They travel to LSU, who jumped up pretty pretty high in the standings this week, um, Next, the week after. And then Mississippi, Ole Miss, uh, next the week after that. And then the Kentucky rematch for Kentucky. Let's see here. They will play against Mizzou tomorrow at 8, Auburn the next week at home, and then at home again against Arkansas before their Kentucky matchup, or their Tennessee matchup, rather. So I think it's going to help Tennessee playing LSU in the middle um, on a road game as well to try and maybe try and get their calm their nerves back down and get yeah. back to that level of basketball they've been playing. And I think that if they beat LSU and if they beat Kentucky again at home, I think they have assuming that everything everybody ahead of them stays the the record they've been i think there's a good chance that we see tennessee jump over gonzaga once again if if gonzaga doesn't slip up in any of their conference games yeah i agree because kentucky is sitting right ahead of tennessee now and then of course virginia at three and gonzaga at two like you said um just depending how all the rest of that plays out i could definitely see tennessee working their way back up there you know in the top three area Mm -hmm. certainly possible and now let's go ahead and recap the Big 12 games, because I know that's the that's the division where everything's, or the conference rather, where everything's up for grabs still. Um, just last week we were saying K-State has it wrapped up basically, and the, the ball's in their court, and uh, it was in their court against Iowa State, but they lost that game 78-64 to an Iowa State team that, that made some pretty big moves early, slipped up for a little bit, 
but now that now they're jumping back into it and now they're sitting tied for I think third with a, an eight and four uh, conference record 19 and six overall just a half game back behind Kansas Texas Tech both at nine and four and then a full game back against K-State at nine and three in the standings so any any draws from that Iowa State Kansas State game is is Iowa State the better team or is it just a lucky game you know that's a really good question because um you look at Iowa State's and Kansas State's records they're very similar and I think they're very similar teams but um I think last week we talked about this and I think I liked Iowa State winning the conference but when you look at the standings right now it's not looking that way I mean they are 19th nationally, but like you said, they're either tied for third or in their fourth right now in mm-hmm. the conference standings. And you have Kansas and Texas Tech and K-State above them. And I just think this conference is so competitive in basketball that it's it's really hard to tell um, who the better team is in this situation, especially when they're all this close. You see 9-3, and 9-4, and 8-4. Like, that's so close, and it's really hard to tell. So, yeah, we'll we'll see how the rest of that shapes up for those two teams. Uh, Baylor Texas Tech was another Big 12 game this weekend, um, and game using turn, using use lightly. It was an 86 to 61 Texas Tech win, so a 25 point game. Texas Tech was able to dismantle Baylor, who uh, was was sitting pretty high in the in the conference standings. They were mm-hmm. seven and four. Um, I think they were. I think that they were tied with Texas Tech before mm-hmm. this game, and um, Texas Tech got the best of them here. The game was in Texas Tech. It was in, I believe, Lubbock or the Supermarkets Arena. Um, so, a 25 point game for that one. That one surprises me just a little bit. Um, but Texas Tech, I would imagine, was was the better team, and I think that it kind of showed here. And I think that they're a team to kind of maybe look out for come tournament time. I don't think they're going to win the Big 12, though. Mm-hmm. So, when you say it surprises you, did you think it was going to be a closer game? I actually picked Baylor to win this oh, one yeah. on WSK. I I've not been high on this Texas Tech team. Yeah, they are, have played some very inconsistent basketball in their in their previous couple of games, but they're starting to click. They're starting to get some things figured out, and uh, this is definitely a win to look forward to for mm-hmm. them. They're they're playing a little bit better basketball than I give them credit yeah. for. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of a trend uh, within these top four teams here. Um, kind of. A little bit of inconsistency earlier in the season and stuff, but now that the tournament is approaching, you can kind of see the teams clicking more, like you mentioned, and mm-hmm. kind of pulling it together. They kind of get that urgency to yeah. try. Yeah, <laughs> they know it's it's coming up close to time. Right. And uh, speaking of another game that uh, they had the best of them earlier, West Virginia Kansas, the rematch in Kansas. Uh, went the way of Kansas, a twenty-five point game here once again, seventy-eight fifty-three. This one, I don't think it was even close from the get-go. Um, five Kansas players all in double-digit scoring. K.J. Lawson, uh, Dotson including him, uh, Lawson as well, and a couple others. But this this Kansas win, this is definitely a win for Kansas that is going to be crucial. And I think that them getting the best of West Virginia, even though West Virginia is sitting very, very bottom of, of yeah. the Big 12, I think this is still a good win for them to kind of get that revenge from what happened in Morgantown earlier this season. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, West Virginia is tied for last 2-10 and 10 record. I mean, like, that's a team that they should beat. That's the thing is, yeah, it helps them because Kansas has had a very inconsistent season, and I don't see them winning the conference. Um, so that definitely didn't shock me. I think I expected that against a West Virginia team, um, especially at Allen Fieldhouse. So, I, I mean, I didn't see any shocking there, but I still don't think Kansas is going to 
won the conference. And speaking of the conference, we got the standings right here. So K State still holds the lead at nine and three conference record, uh, nineteen and six overall. Behind them, Texas Tech at nine and four, uh, twenty-one and five overall. Kansas tied with Texas Tech nine and four conference record, twenty and six overall record. Behind them is Iowa State eight and four in conference play, nineteen and six overall. And Baylor still sort of in the conversation, seven and five conference play, sixteen and nine overall. But something that I wanted to hint on is the difference between home and away splits. K- uh, Kansas State. We're going to go down that order. So K-State, Texas Tech, Kansas, and Iowa State. Um, 11-2 at home, 14-1 at home, 15-0 at home, and then 11-1 at home. And then you look at the away splits, 5-4 away, 4-3, and 2-6, and, and then 5-3. and three. Is this the question of um, the, the better home teams? Are, are they getting better home team matchups, or is the Big 12 really just – home court dominant I guess I really do think the Big 12 is home court dominant I mean you look at uh, arenas like Allen Fieldhouse and Iowa State those play I just think the crowds play such a huge factor in these games and obviously the players feel better playing at home especially in this conference it's there's some tough places to travel to like I know as a away opponent I would not want to play in Allen Fieldhouse because you're being harassed by the crowd and it is loud um it just I would relate it to how people feel about playing at Arrowhead Stadium I just think the crowd plays such a huge factor um in these arenas and obviously home court advantage is always a positive Mm -hmm. even you even look at TCU they're seventh in the big 12 with a five and seven record in conference play but at home they're 11 and three yeah this is a team that that gave Kansas a run for their money just last week, I believe. Mm-hmm. It might have even been two weeks ago now at this point. But this is a team that TCU is a good team when they're at home and mm-hmm. away. They're 2-5, and five, so not the greatest away record. But they, they're still a good team when they're playing at home. And down the line, every the top seven teams all have double-digit wins at home. Even Oklahoma's 8-4. and four, West Virginia's 8-5. and five. They're 0-7 on the road. And then Oklahoma State rounding out the Big 12 at 6-6 mm-hmm. six and six at home. So that, that team's not a great team nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But the Big 12 is home court heavy, yeah. I feel like. No, I definitely agree with you there. I mean, especially, like I said, when you have teams like Kansas and Iowa State and Kansas State, um, teams that are known for having a very good home court turnout. Mm-hmm. And speaking of home court turnout for games, let's take a look at Kansas's remaining schedule, kind of play out what would happen here. So their their next game this Saturday, I believe, uh, is at Texas Tech. So a home game for Texas Tech, and then they Kansas will host Kansas State um, next Monday, and then travel off to Oklahoma State to play the Sooners or not the Sooners, the Cowboys rather. Um, then they will also stay in Oklahoma and play the Sooners the next week, and then round out the season with a home game against Baylor. So how do you think that? Kansas is going to round out in those five games. Do you think they're going to win all of them, one of them? Um, I really, I don't think they're going to win all of them. I could see them losing at least one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the road trip to Texas Tech. I think that'll be an interesting matchup, just because I'm not really sure how credible you know Texas Tech is right now. Um, so I think that might be a true test of how good is Texas Tech. Um, of course, home court advantage for them that could be that could be a game changer. But I think um, 
the game that I'm gonna really want to watch is the Kansas and Kansas State game. Obviously, that that's gonna be a huge game. Um, Kansas being home is gonna help them, obviously, but I would like to see what Kansas State can do against them. I think, yeah, I agree with you that I think those two games are gonna be the two games that everybody's gonna be watching. Mm-hmm. I think Kansas splits them. I think they lose to Texas Tech, and I think they narrowly beat out K State. Um, if for some reason they do beat Texas Tech and K-State, I think they sweep the rest of the season. Um, if if they do lose a game to Texas Tech or K-State, I think that they will lose another one as well. Mm-hmm. I think that that Oklahoma game um, in Oklahoma, I think that's going to be a game where we possibly could see Kansas slip up again. And who knows, maybe even Oklahoma State the game before. I know there there's potential for it as well as the Baylor game. I don't necessarily w- – I wouldn't really want to root – I wouldn't want to pick against Kansas mm-hmm. in Allen Fieldhouse in that final game. Um, but if they split against Texas Tech and K-State, I think there's a chance that, that we see another game from them as well. Looking at the leader K-State um, game against West Virginia today, actually, this weekend against Oklahoma State is a home game for K-State. The travel to Kansas, um, they host Baylor, travel to TCU, and then host Oklahoma to end out the rest of the season. How do you think that... K-State's going to end? I think, I mean, definitely their hardest game is going to be traveling to Kansas. Um, I don't think they will have any issues against West Virginia or Oklahoma. Um, Baylor could be interesting just because, like you said, they're kind of sitting right there at the top of the conference, and I don't think they'll have any problems with the rest, TCU and Oklahoma. Well, at TCU could be interesting just because, like what, we've yeah. talked about. That's what I was just about yeah, to get to. could be interesting. Um, I don't think they'll have any issues, though, with the rest. Obviously, the hardest game being Kansas. Yeah, I, I think hosting Oklahoma and Oklahoma State um, is going to help them and Baylor as well. I think that's going to help them immensely. West Virginia today, I don't see that being an issue. I think Kansas State rolls with that heavily, um, trying to get that bounce back from the Iowa State game this last weekend. I think... They do drop the Kansas game, like I said. Um, I think they actually d- would drop the TCU game, assuming nothing hap- no one gets hurt before that because that's a March 4th game, so a couple weeks out from now. Yeah. But I think that's a game that Kansas State could potentially lose as well. So I-, I have them losing two games out the rest of this season, I would imagine. Looking at Texas Tech, we have the Kansas game this Saturday. They host Oklahoma State, travel to TCU, host Texas, and then finish the season in Ames against Iowa State. How's this one going to roll out, you think? I think Texas Tech has a really good opportunity um, with Kansas traveling to their arena. I think they have a really good opportunity to take advantage of that, and I think that's going to be a really good game to watch. Um, I could see Texas Tech upsetting Kansas um, there. I don't think they'll have any issue traveling to Oklahoma State. or No, that's home, so yeah. Those two, back-to-back, they'll have home court advantage. And then at TCU, like we said, could be interesting. It's hard playing at TCU, um, Texas, and then they have to travel to Iowa State. So that could be another tough one as well. So I could see – I'm going to say Texas Tech upsetting Kansas, and then I'm going to also say Texas Tech losing to Iowa State. I kind of agree with that. I think the TCU game, they played earlier this year. I know it was in – uh, Texas Tech. It was an 84 to 65 game, so not not the closest of games. And I know mm-hmm. Texas to Texas kind of got that rivalry, but not a big one. Right. Um, other than a Big 12 matchup. Uh, then the next game against Texas, that one wasn't. I think that was a five point game when it was in Texas. 
Um, so I don't think that one's going to be as close either since it's a Texas Tech home game. Yeah, I think the only ones that I would agree are probably losses is Kansas, and I think that Iowa State's probably going to get the best of Texas Tech because I know when they played in Texas Tech, it was a 68-64 game here. I'm looking at it um, in favor of Iowa State. So Iowa State actually beat them at home already. I think Iowa State sweeps them here. Speaking of Iowa State, we'll go ahead and look on theirs as well, and we'll just kind of finish out with that top four in the Big 12. Tomorrow, Iowa State will be playing Baylor. Um, This weekend, they will be traveling to TCU to play TCU, obviously. Uh, Then they host Oklahoma. They travel to Texas to play Texas, um, travel to West Virginia, and then round out at home against against Texas Tech. So is there anything in there other than we kind of already talked about the Texas Tech mm-hmm. uh, going Iowa State's way? Is there any any team on there that kind of kind of would scare you a little bit more that we haven't already touched on? Um, I think I mean the Baylor game could be close, but it helps Iowa State being at home, um, having home corner advantage in that game. So I, I think Iowa State would be fine, but I could see Baylor giving them a run for their money, but that would be the only other game that I think would be close. And then, yeah, um, picking Iowa State over Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. They, and that Baylor game, they, they played earlier in at Baylor, rather, um, the beginning of January. That was a 73-70 to 70 Baylor win. So that's a game that, that uh, they're going to want to get to look to get mm-hmm. revenge on. Yeah. And that TCU game that we saw just a week ago, two weeks ago, rather, a 92-83 to 83 TCU win so that's another game that Iowa State needs to win to not get swept in those two rivalries and that's tomorrow's night that's tomorrow night's game and then this Saturday's game so I think I think Iowa State maybe um I think they're going to get the best of both of those teams here but that TCU game in TCU I think that's that's going to be one that I would also have circled if I'm Iowa State yeah as well as obviously the Texas Tech game that we already touched on yeah I think that's going to be a couple of really Interesting games back-to-back there, Baylor and TCU. Um, I could see the TCU being challenging just because they're at TCU and they already have a win against them. TCU does. So definitely Iowa State's going to be coming in with revenge, but playing at TCU could be tough. So Yeah. Do you still think Iowa State wins the, wins the Big 12, though? I'm going to have to probably say no. Um I'm kind of favoring Kansas State still just because I feel like they are on a roll in the right direction. And I think Iowa State, um, with their schedule, has potential to be upset a few times. So I'm still going to probably stick with Kansas State. I could see that. I See, and I said Iowa State at the beginning of the Mm -hmm. season, and I I think there's still a chance. um, They're going to need a little bit of help, though. K-State's going to have to drop a game or two. And if Kansas... If Iowa State and Kansas finish with the same record, they share that Big 12 title. But in the, in the books, I believe Iowa State gets the tiebreaker in that because they split their home games. And I believe Iowa State's home game was a 17 for, or 15-point game, uh, whereas Kansas only was, I think it was like a 5- or 6-point game. So they'd go off points off that, and I think Iowa State would hold the slight advantage in that along with that share. So that's that's how we assume the Big Twelve is going to be rounding out, but but we we aren't for sure. Oh, yeah. It's it's all up to speculation on that. <laughs> but we will take a look at the top five or the top twenty five rather. Uh, the polls came out today. There is a new number one. Uh, Duke has claimed that spot, and I don't see anybody taking that spot from them. No, I, I definitely I, agree with you. <laughs> I think it's 
kind of clear and cut that Duke is pound for pound the best team uh, in college basketball. Gonzaga moves up to two. Uh, Virginia moves up to three. Kentucky takes the four spot. And Tennessee drops down to fifth. Nevada jumps up to six. Michigan drops down to seven. Uh, North Carolina stays at eight. Houston stays at nine. And Michigan State jumps over Marquette into that 10 spot. So there's anything in that top 10 that surprises you or uh, that you weren't expecting? Um, I think we kind of touched on it last week, um, just seeing a couple teams that we're not used to probably seeing in the top 10, Nevada, Houston. Um, We look at Houston, I mean, playing in the AAC, um, not really sure how tough their conference is. Um, It says they just came off of a win against Tulane, so it's like, who are these teams playing when you compare them to other teams' schedules? So that's kind of like what's like, mm, that's kind of surprising yeah. to me. But then again, their schedules are probably a lot easier than some of these other teams. So, yeah, Houston and Nevada kind of stand out to me. Um, you know, Nevada, the Mountain West, it's like, well, it's not really like a famously known basketball conference. So a couple of those teams just, you know, kind of wedge their way up there. I think that's kind of the flaw with, the Gonzagas, the Nevadas, and the Houstons mm-hmm. of college basketball is that you you schedule your non-conference games, and you, if you you have to schedule them the way that Gonzaga does, where you you play the best teams that are available. Yeah, and I think that that helps Gonzaga immensely. To even if, even if they lose, if if it's a close game, when you get down to conference play, because I don't I don't see any team in the West Coast beating Gonzaga. I I don't think that that's going to happen anytime soon. I think Gonzaga's always going to win that division for now um with with the talent that they're able to get from year to year to year and i think that they they sit high up in that in in the polls because of that because of their non-conference games they schedule along with tennessee they did the same thing this year i believe they played um i believe they played tennessee this year actually they lost but um that's one of those games where or that's they're one of those teams where that's something that they have to get they have to get those types of um, games early on in the season to kind of prove themselves mm-hmm. so that when they get to conference play, they can kind of coast. And that's something that's always kind of came back to bite Gonzaga is they, they play all these conference games and then you get into the tournament where you play where you play teams like anywhere in the top 25. You get teams yeah. like Maryland or something that get into the tournament and they're, they're a 12 seed or a 13 seed, but they're still a team that's a lot more competitive than you've been playing. And I think that's something that is surprising that we see three teams here from non-power conferences. No, I definitely agree. And I think, like, this also, like, affects how the tournament turns out in March. I mean, you get these teams like Houston and Nevada, and um, just because, you know, they are in the top ten, I think they receive better seeds, and then you see them kind of fall apart in the tournaments because they're not used to playing higher caliber teams because their conference isn't stacked like some of these other teams so I think that's also another flaw is that um, it affects the seeding for the tournament, and then you just see these teams kind of fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong earlier. They didn't play Tennessee. They played New Mexico. Lost 85-58 back at the beginning of January. Rounding out the next 10 spots, Michigan State, obviously at 10. We already mentioned that. Uh, Marquette at 11. They dropped down one. Kansas jumps up two, number 12. Um, LSU, the big winner here. In this week's poll, they jumped up six spots from number 19 to number 13. Texas Tech goes up one to number 14. 
Purdue drops three after their loss to Maryland uh, to number 15. Florida State jumps up number 16. And then Villanova drops four um, after their loss to St. John's, 17. Louisville drops down two at 18 after their close win to Clemson. And then I believe they lost one the game before that. I can't remember who they played, though. Iowa State jumps up four to number 19. Virginia Tech up two to number 20. And then Iowa State stays neutral at number 21. Wisconsin, Kansas State drops five. Maryland and Buffalo stay stagnate where they're at at 24 and 25. So is there anything out of the rest of that 25 that strikes you a little odd or kind of curious as to where they're sitting? Yeah, so looking at like the national um, standings, you see Kansas State at 23, Iowa State at 19, and Kansas at 12. That doesn't match up with the Big 12 rankings. So like that's, I mean, that's something that's also very confusing and probably a flaw just because I mean, when you look at that, it doesn't make any sense. They have Kansas at 12, and then Kansas is second, tied for second or third mm-hmm. in the Big 12. And then they have K-State at 23, and K-State's at the top of the Big 12 standing. So um, I think that's a little bit confusing and a little surprising just because of how it plays out in the conference. Yeah, because, yeah, you got Kansas 12, Texas Tech at 14, and those two teams are tied for second. And then you got K-State who's leading. Yeah, you said it. Uh, they have them now at 23. They were at 18. But the loss to Iowa State made had them drop five spots. That's, that's something that I'm not 100% sure if Kansas State dropping that game uh, dignifies them dropping down five spots. Maybe. Yeah, I think five's a little extreme for a conference game. I could understand if it was Buffalo or some other team mm-hmm. that's not in their conference. But, I mean, Iowa State's a high-caliber team right now. So five spots, I think, is a little much. I could see two or three. Especially with Iowa State being a ranked team, because we see exactly. Villanova lost um, to St. John's seventy-one sixty-five, and they they drop four spots, and yeah. that's that's a St. John's team that's not ranked and that has a chance to make the tournament, but they're going to need some help as well. And that's yeah. Villanova dropping four spots, and then Kansas State dropping five yeah. for their game. I, I get that it was a fourteen-point game, but at the same time, it's not a St. John's team that's no. fighting yeah, for a it's comfort. Too ranked. Yeah teams going at it and i feel like if that would have been kansas it would have been like two spots <laughs> that they would yeah. have dropped so uh, yeah i don't totally agree with five dropping five spots <laughs> so and now now that we have the polls up um assuming that that march comes and, and the stands and everything stands the same um who are our ones and twos i think obviously duke would be the overall number one seed i think that we would both agree on that yes yeah and yeah. then after that, who would be your one seeds and who would be your two seeds? Um, I'd probably say Virginia would be another one. Um, I would say probably Tennessee. I could see Tennessee being another one. And I really want to say Kentucky, but I'm not sure how they're going to finish out their reg- regular conference. So um, probably Gonzaga. I'll give Gonzaga another one seed, even though they'd probably be a two. So that, those are my ones, I, I think. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, I think um, t- if Tennessee can come back and beat Kentucky in the next game, which I, I think is very, very mm-hmm. plausible, and I think that they're going to beat LSU as well, I think that gives Tennessee another uh, one seed. Um, we already said Duke. And I think Virginia gets it, and I think Gonzaga's the last one seed to get in. I think that they're kind of a bubble team. Yeah. Um, I think they give it to them just based off of how they've done in previous years. I think that they kind of – have that title as 
a basketball school, right. and they're, they've yeah, they historically do. been well. So I think they get the one seed, but just barely. Yeah, yeah. I think my two seeds would probably be, I think Nevada gets it, um, but they're probably one of the teams that's debated as being a three seed, I would imagine, mm-hmm. just based off who they've played. I know this Nevada team is good, um, but I think that they're, they would get into the talk for being possibly a three seed. I think Michigan gets in at a three seed. Um, I think Kentucky would get in at a three or a two seeds rather two seeds, not three seeds. Um, so Nevada, Michigan, Kentucky, and then I think by the time it gets done, I think Marquette beats Villanova again, um, and I think that they come in and jump up and take the two seed from Houston, North yeah. Carolina, and Michigan State. Yeah, yeah, I would have to say my two seeds would be Kentucky, Michigan. I'm going to say North Carolina just because of how they do perform when it comes to tournament time. And I'm also going to say Michigan State jumps up. I I just don't think – I don't think Houston even gets a three seed, I would imagine. Yeah, that's the thing is I don't see – I don't even see Nevada getting a two seed. I don't. I could see them getting a three seed. But, yeah, Houston and Nevada, kind of those teams are like, "Mm, do they really get Mm -hmm. a two seed over a team like Kentucky or North Carolina? So I think that's up for debate. And that's another thing with Michigan State sitting at number 10 right now. I would think that Michigan State would be a seed higher up than Houston. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably even Nevada you can make an argument for just based off who they play on a night-to-night basis compared to Nevada. Mm -hmm. I know probably head-to-head Nevada would win, but the the way that the panel looks at it, they would probably skew in favor of Michigan State just based off how they play in the Big Ten. Yeah. So that is who we have... For our March Madness, we're going to take another break here and come back with some NFL free agent recaps. And we are back on Day to Day. Andrew Botwinick, Jenny James. We're going to take a look here at some upcoming NFL free agents. I know it's still the off season, but a lot of business deals are still made here. <laughs> we got the top 100 we're going off of here. Um, we're going to go through the top 10 first. So number one, according to this, the number one free agent, uh, Demarcus Lawrence a 4-3 D-end um, from Dallas, 27 years old. Trey Flowers, another 4-3 D-end from New England, 26. Jadavian Clowney, the 4-3 outside linebacker out of Houston, 26 years old. D Ford, 3-4-0 linebacker uh, out of KC, 28. Le'Veon Bell, running back, uh, 27. Grady Jarrett, the Atlanta D-tackle, 26. Earl Thomas, coming off the injury, safety, uh, 30 years old. Frank Clark, 4-3 D-end from Seattle, 26. Landon Collins, another safety from the Giants, 25. And then rounding out the top 10, Nick Foles, the backup quarterback turned starter quarterback um, <laughs> from Philly, 30. Is there anybody in that list that where do you, where do you think they're going to end up going or who do you want to see stay on their teams? Um, So I think the big ones that stand out to me are D. Ford, obviously, because I'm a Chiefs fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, Le'Veon Bell and Nick Foles are my big ones just because um, Nick Foles, like we were just talking, he's kind of put in a very crappy situation. Um, he went and won a Super Bowl, and now they're talking about trading him. I mean, obviously, Carson Wentz coming back. Yeah, there's something going to happen there. Um, with Foles being a high-caliber quarterback, he can go help somebody else. Um, not sure where he would be traded, but I just think that situation is kind of like, mm. and then Le'Veon Bell, I do not see him staying. I don't. Not with Antonio Brown leaving. I think he's 
obviously he didn't want to play. So I don't see him wanting to stay. I don't, I don't see that happening. And then with D Ford, I really hope he does. I know a lot of people uh, want to see him gone. Some of the you know Chiefs fans that I've heard, but I think he is strong on the defense. So I would like to see D Ford stay. Yeah, I, I would too. I think Steve Spagnolo, um, him introducing that four three offense or defense rather, compared to what we've seen at, on the Chiefs with the three four under Sutton, I think it's, there's going to be some changes. But I don't think D Ford's going to be one of those changes. I think he's already publicly said that he would take a pay cut to mm-hmm. stay with this team because this team this team's good. Right. This is a good Chiefs team, and I I know that the defense is just a couple pieces away from even being average, and I think that being average is still good yeah. enough to get back to where they yeah. were and then some. This is definitely not a time that you'd want to leave either mm-hmm. um, with getting as close as the Chiefs did. I feel like D. Ford saying he would take a pay cut is huge just because he realizes that this team can get there. Exactly. And Nick Foles, you kind of hinted on that. Uh, the Eagles are planning, from what I've heard, to um, franchise tag him for the next season, give him some money, and then try and trade him off uh, rather than him just leaving and signing somewhere else, they're going to try and franchise tag him, give him a little bit of money, and then ship him off to who with the best deal. Um, not sure if they're taking into account Nick Foles' personal interest on who he'd play for. Um, I'm sure they would at least a little bit, considering what he did for him, like Jenny said, mm-hmm. uh, getting them to that Super Bowl win. But we'll see with that. Yeah. <laughs> so if, if Le'Veon Bell leaves Pittsburgh, wants the big money contract, where do you think he's going to go? What are a couple teams just off the top of your head that that you could see him landing? Mm, I'd say maybe 49ers. I think that they would be um, a good option for that. I just think that I could see them reaching out to him. They really need some help on the offensive side, I think. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I could see the 49ers kind of stepping up, maybe reaching out. Mm -hmm. I, I could see... Uh, depending on what happens with Antonio Brown, because I, there's yeah. speculation that he's also headed to San Francisco. So we'll see with that. I know Le'Veon Bell last season had a lot of talk with um, the Jets potentially going to New York and playing for them. Not sure if, if there's any current talk about that at all, but um, those are a couple of teams that have speculated getting Le'Veon Bell, and I know He's wanting to get a big contract, and I don't think yeah. there's a lot of teams in the market looking for a running back that has sat out in in one of what can be what would be considered his prime years of right. 25, 26, 27. Yeah. I think it really depends, honestly, <laughs> how much money he's going to get paid. Just because the dude sat out for most of the season, did he sit for all of it, or he, was sat, it most of it? he sat for the entire season? In the entire season, year. yeah. Um, so obviously. Some teams might be like, well, do we really want that kind of person on our team? But I feel like he's going to wait for the contract that he wants. So I think that's going to be a huge uh, factor into where he decides to accept an offer. Mm-hmm. I think another couple name or two um, on this list, Earl Thomas, uh, coming off that injury he had, actually was about to be traded to the Dallas Cowboys. And then in that game, I believe he broke his leg or he he broke something and was out for the rest of the season, very early in the season. Um, the Cowboys were off, ready to offer two first-round picks for him and um, backed out, obviously, after he broke his leg. Landon Collins is a name that that, interest, that piques my interest, 25-year-old safety. He is phenomenal. He's very, very athletic. And um, 
it's going to be interesting. I imagine he'll stay in New York, but we'll see. Uh, Jadavion Clowney as well, staying in Houston, or if he decides to leave Houston. I know wherever he goes, if he decides to stay or if he decides to leave, he's going to be due for a big contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see I could see him staying just because I think Houston is another one of those teams that um, is on the up and up. And, um, yeah, I could see them offering him a pretty good contract. I think so too. I think I think they're going to like the the sound of Jadavian Clowney and JJ Watt out of the back or out of the um off the line yeah. in that front seven. That's that's a that's duo scary. that's yeah. That's a duo that that would hit yeah. very very hard. Uh looking at some of the other guys here on this list 11 through 20, Brandon Graham, 31-year-old from Philadelphia. Teddy Bridgewater, the quarterback, backup quarterback, I guess. Uh 26 out of New Orleans. Aha Clinton Dix, 26-year-old from Washington. Tyron Matthew, 27-year-old from Houston. Preston Smith, the 26-year-old from the Redskins. Sheldon Richardson, the 28-year-old uh, from Minnesota. Trent Brown, 26, offensive tackle from New England. Donovan Smith, the other offensive tackle, 26 at, from Tampa Bay. And Dominican Sue, 32. And then Ezekiel Ansa at 30 from Detroit. Is there anybody in that? 11 to 20 range that kind of strikes you as someone that that's going to get a lot of offers or someone that is going to just resign with his team flat out um i think sue will definitely resign um with la um especially with how far they got this year how strong their defense was um i can see definitely them offering sue um teddy bridgewater is kind of one of those quarterbacks who was super, super hot in college and then kind of came to the NFL and we haven't heard much about him. Um, I definitely think he will not be staying with the Saints. I can see um, maybe a team that's been struggling a little bit offering him just because he is talented. I just think he's been put in situations where he hasn't been able to be successful. So I could see um, him being traded. I think a lot of the Teddy Bridgewater um, decision comes down to ultimately Drew Brees' decision. I think that's if, very true. Too. I think if Brees stays another year, I think Teddy Bridgewater leaves, and I think that yeah. they're they're going to move on from Bridgewater. But I think if if Brees leaves, I think that kind of opens up the door, yeah. and coming in coming into a team as a new quarterback with Alvin Kamara and um, oh geez, I'm blanking on Mark Ingram. Uh, I think coming onto a team with Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara. And um, the wide receiver talent that they have, I think that that that's going to be very very enticing. And I think that Sean Payton's going to want to stick with a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, who's already been there for a year. So I think if Breeze leaves, that kind of opens the door for Bridgewater to kind of come in and assume the starter role. But yeah, like you said, if Breeze stays, there's no reason for yeah. really Bridgewater to be there. And I don't see Breeze leaving. <laughs> I mm-hmm. just don't. And then you mentioned Ingram, and he's even on this list, sitting at 32. Exactly. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, like Jenny said, sitting on the list, number 32, um, in the top 100 to be free agents this offseason. There's a couple, there's some other big names on here. Um, some cornerbacks, Ronald Darby, 25, he had an injury. Uh, for, I believe he sat the majority of the season. Um, Golden Tate as well. Uh, C.J. Mosley, the linebacker from Baltimore. There's a couple of names on here that that uh, are strikingly um that that are some big bigger name players 
we kind of went over it before mitch morse 36 on here um 27 year old center he, he's a guy that that makes that the chiefs are gonna want to have to keep <laughs> yes. to to bolster that kind of offensive yes. line that they yeah. have i think I, he's a key player on that offense i just he has a lot of experience um with the chiefs um so i think definitely they need to keep mitch morse and i think they know that yeah I, I think that they're they're going to give him whatever offer he says. I mm-hmm. think that they he's one of the few offensive linemen that have been consistent, and and we could the Chiefs fans could kind of see that this season when Morris was out. Right. They they had to kind of scrap and find someone that yeah. could fill in that role. Yeah. And I think another couple of names here um, with Spagnolo coming in, names like Dante Fowler Jr. out of uh, L.A. Another a twenty five year old left end or right end rather. That's a guy that they're going to keep their eye on. Um, Anthony Barr, the outside linebacker from Minnesota, is another guy that could potentially come in and under this Spagnolo defense make some waves potentially. Um, some cornerbacks as well. Steven Nelson mm-hmm. is on the list as well at 44, 25-year-old. He's, he's going to be one of those guys that, that the Chiefs would like, would like to re-sign because right. they have that, that corner depth. Yeah. And the age is, is a number that is very suitable for the Chiefs, but it's the play that we saw from them last year that is the big question mark. And as as the year progressed, you could see that the more and more reps they got, the the better they got, obviously. Right. And and that's something that Steven Nelson kind of emerged as the guy that that would be consistently sound mm-hmm. on, on defense as that number two corner. Yeah. Yeah, I think he has a really good opportunity to learn and grow on this Chiefs defense. Um, I think – with the new defensive corner coming in, I think that's going to make a huge difference. And when you got when you have guys like Eric Berry on your defense, like you have such an amazing opportunity to learn from him and grow. So I definitely could see them uh, keeping Nelson. Yeah, and with Berry, it's kind of like having a coach on the field. I yeah. know when I know when he came in um, in that Chargers game. Oh, he 16, was going yeah, crazy was. back there trying to get people in the right place. It just shows you how messed up our defense was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was he was having to get everybody lined up, and I think he was more focused on getting everybody else lined up. I'm not saying he was in the wrong spot. I'm just saying he was more focused on getting everybody lined yeah. up that he was having to make audibles and make calls right. from, from the line of scrimmage, basically. Right. Things with, that shouldn't happen, but yeah, with, Eric Berry with just the, took it in his own hands. <laughs> with the crowd of Arrowhead as well yeah. over the top of it, and Barry still able to yell it yeah. out. So he kept his voice for 15 weeks. <laughs> I hope that by week 16 he was ready to yeah. ready to let it all out. But uh, that's kind of what we see here from the top 100 or the top 50, rather. We kind of looked through just the top 50. Um, some So some big names couple of splashes that we could see being made here from a bunch of different teams there's a lot of players up on the market that could be getting some new different locations in 2019 is there anybody that tops the list for you um that the chiefs need to go after aside from any re-signings um i mean i definitely think they need to look at the the cb position just because we definitely they definitely struggled there um this past season um bunch of young guys i feel like at that position too which i mean i did mention that they have the opportunity to grow and learn but i do think we need somebody to come in that's more of on the veteran side to maybe help the younger guys that they have at depth Mm -hmm. i i think that yeah cornerback is a big need um i would also say that maybe a four three linebacker as well i kind of I th- I'm see I'm thinking that maybe um, Anthony Barr that Dante Fowler Jr. like I was saying I think those are guys that 
maybe are in the price range yeah. for the Chiefs. I think that that's going to be a big thing because they're not going to go out and get Jadavian Clowney. I, I don't think that we're the Chiefs are going to be able to offer. Yeah, we don't have that. the budget for that. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to have to take, have a lot of players take a lot of pay cuts, um, and with Tyreek Hill, yeah. Travis Kelsey, um, Mahomes and Mahomes obviously coming up. up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of money being thrown around in the next couple of years. So. We will see where the, what moves the Chiefs make here, and that, that's going to do it for us here. It's 3 o'clock. You're listening to Day to Day on X 106.